0: This is episode 234 of That Shakespeare Life. Just like the work of William Shakespeare, That Shakespeare Life is supported by listeners just like you who signed up to be our patrons. You can help support our show and contribute directly to programming when you join us as a patron at patreon.com slash Life. Hi, I'm Cindy Ott, author of Pumpkin, The Curious History of an American Icon. Another great method for studying the life of William Shakespeare includes listening to this. It's That's Shakespeare's Life with my friend Cassidy Cash.
1: Basically, they had some waffle irons, as they were called, uh, or wafer irons, and they consisted of two plates, which you would have to get hot in a fire. And they were sort of on poles. So a bit like a pair of tongs, or sometimes they're compared to scissors, but obviously you weren't cutting anything with them. And they were heated till they were hot. And then a thin layer of batter was poured onto the one side of the waffle iron. And then they were closed together and it continued to be cooked over the fire until the waffle was nice and crisp.
2: And now, here's Cassidy.
0: In William Shakespeare's Henry V, Part 2, Scene 3, Pistol uses the phrase, men's fates are wafer cakes. Wafer cakes were thin baked breads that would eventually become what we know today as waffles. During the Renaissance and Middle Ages, specialty iron tongs were used to bake wafers that were served as a final blessing after the Eucharist in churches. The art of making waffles was so popular in the Netherlands that when the pilgrims who had spent some time in Holland set sail for North America in 1621, it's believed that some of the Dutch who went with them took waffles on board. While waffles may not have been a staple breakfast food for Shakespeare's lifetime, it turns out the Bard not only had waffles, but they came in a surprising variety of shapes and recipes. Here today to share with us the Shakespearean history of wafer cakes and waffles is our guest and expert food historian, Sam Bilton. Food historian, writer, and cook Sam Bilton has been intrigued by Spices most of her life. Her first book on the history of gingerbread won a World Gourmand Cookbook Award in 2021, and she is a frequent contributor to national magazines, food festivals, television, and radio. Her book, Fool's Gold, A History of British Saffron, is Sam's second book and was released in September of 2022. For more information about Sam, as well as links to her books, you can visit the show notes for today's episode, where we've included a link to her latest book and her website, along with how you can follow her on Instagram. Hello, Sam. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Cassidy. How
0: were waffles made during Shakespeare's lifetime?
1: Well, in many respects, it's not an awful lot different to how we make waffles today. Basically, they had some waffle irons, as they were called, uh, or wafer irons, and they consisted of two plates, which you would have to get hot in a fire, and they were sort of on poles, so a bit like a pair of tongs, or sometimes they're compared to scissors, but obviously you weren't cutting anything with them. And they were heated till they were hot, and then a thin layer of batter was poured onto one side of the waffle iron. And then they were closed together and continued to be cooked over the fire until the waffle was nice and crisp and ready to eat.
0: So, when would these waffles have been eaten for Shakespeare's lifetime? I know I enjoy them for breakfast, but were they a breakfast food for Shakespeare or would have been eaten at other times of day?
1: Oh, goodness, no. I think it would have been the height of indulgence to eat waffles or wafers for breakfast in Shakespeare's time. Basically, during the period that Shakespeare was alive, waffles would have been served as part of a banquet. Now, of course, today we think of a banquet being a large feast, but a banquet in his time, in lifetime was actually something that was a a course, if you like, that was served at the end of a meal. And the purpose of this banquet was to serve Foods that would help with digestion, but they were it was the height of luxury. Not everyone got to have to go to a banquet at the end a meal. Even if you were invited to a, a fancy feast, only the select few usually got to go to the banquet at the end because they were served in separate rooms, for example. There were in, entire buildings built, purpose built for banquets. The foods that were served were very sweet generally. So they were sort of sweet, very highly spiced and very, very, very expensive. I can't stress that enough. It was a luxury item. So waffles at this period were considered to be luxury goods, hence they weren't really eaten for breakfast.
0: So what kind of shape did waffles have in the 17th century? I know I've had square ones and round ones, but were there different shapes or different designs for waffles for Shakespeare's lifetime?
2: Yeah,
1: they were wildly sort of imaginative in shapes if you like they were basically round or rectangular and they were flat or there's sometimes they when they were still soft so when they were first cooked they would have been quite malleable you could roll them up and they were used the flat ones were certainly used as a base for something called marchpane which is an almond paste similar to marzipan that we would get today they used to emboss them so um sometimes they would have Fancy shapes on, but the hexagonal shape became quite popular that we we associate with waffles nowadays. And it's actually from the Germanic word waffle. And I apologise to any of your listeners that are of German descent because I do not speak German, I'm afraid. But waffle, which is where we get the English word waffle. But others, you know, sometimes as the centuries wore on, they got the patterns got a bit more elaborate. So you can get some wonderful. Waffle uh, wafer irons from sort of the 17th century that look quite spectacular.
0: So, in Henry V, he mentions wafer cakes. He compares men's fates are wafer cakes. And that's Act Two, Scene Three. Are Is he talking about waffles? Was that the phrase they used to describe waffles in Shakespeare's lifetime?
1: Yeah. So, w- waffles were really, they were wafers. So, the word, or what they were, mentioned the germanic word waffle uh, in terms of shakespeare's lifetime we were talking we're talking about wafers which are these very thin crisp almost biscuit like creations the reason they're different from what we have nowadays is there was no leavening agent in them so they were completely flat they nowadays obviously we're used to waffles being sort of a bit puffier and softer but in the 17th century they were sort of crisp sort of i would say a biscuit like texture or a cookie like texture, I think you you guys would say in America.
0: Thank you very much. Yes, we do. (laughs) (laughs) So what are some of the ingredients that would have been used to make waffles? I think you mentioned marzipan, and then you've said that it's like a biscuit. So I'm assuming that's a wheat-based flour, but would they have added milk or water or eggs or what else would have gone into the waffles? And I guess I'm really curious whether or not Shakespeare would have added something like blueberries or nuts, you know?
1: Okay, probably no on the blueberries. I'm not sure when blueberries came to England, but I'm pretty sure we shouldn't have them in Shakespeare's time. I can't recall ever seeing any recipes for blueberries. They definitely had flouring and cream and egg yolks to make a batter the make the batter. But as again, as time wore on, they had were also flavored with things like cinnamon, sugar, occasionally rose water. So they would have been not as perhaps as sweet as we are used to today, but they would certainly have been sort of probably more highly spiced in some respects.
0: So you mentioned that there are some surviving recipes from the 17th century. Can you tell us where we might find these and who wrote them?
1: Yeah, so I mean, making waffles or wafers was a really a very, very skilled job. So in the really big noble households, they would have had a wafery and they were probably would have been one or two People that would have been responsible for making the wafers, and I have said already they were they were a luxurious they were a luxurious item, but they were recipes that did exist. And one we find in Hugh Platt's Delights for Ladies, which I love the, the name of that, uh, that book. It's fabulous. Um, it <laughs> it's is. a wonderful name, <laughs> and it was published around sixteen hundred. And there is also we find a, re- a recipe in a book called The Lady's Companion. Now I find this quite interesting that these are two recipes that are in books aimed at ladies, and when I say ladies, they, they would have been quite wealthy ladies, not you know, we're not talking about something that was geared to this, the servants. This is something that would have been the lady of the house would have had, although I can't imagine for a minute she would have been making waffles herself because that would have just been madness. <laughs> especially in those wonderful outfits they wore. So yes, it's intriguing as to why a waffle recipe would appear in a book designed for a lady, but maybe she was, she was then going to instruct someone on how to make them.
0: On her website, Comfortably Hungry, Sam writes about waffles in British history, saying that they were derived from the wafers eaten as part of the Eucharist or Lord's Supper at a church service. Sam, how long in history did waffles have this strictly religious connection, and how did they make their way over to luxury item at a fancy dinner?
1: Okay, so we we think that the the wafer or the waffle sort of emerged out of the Jewish ritual of serving unleavened bread uh, during Passover. Originally, these waffles, these very early waffles were called a blata, which means that which is offered or a blay in English. They were made by religious institutions like priests uh, in sort of monasteries and convents they were given out, uh, as you say, they were, may have had Christian symbols on, they were given as part of the Eucharist. But generally they weren't distributed to the public at large unless it was a special equ- occasion. So, for example, the Thursday before Easter. But then when we get to the 13th century, so this is very, I think the earliest, one of the uh, references I read for the earliest waffle iron was something like the the ninth, ninth century. But by the time we get to the 13th century, wafers were, or waffles were being consumed for non-ecclesiastical purposes. I guess at some point someone thought, hmm, this is good. We can maybe spice it up a bit and uh, add the cinnamon as I, that I mentioned before and rose water and make something a bit tastier. And in France, certainly, they had a guild of au which is a like a making guild in the 13th century, so you find sort of by the time we get to later on, sort of sort of around Shakespeare's lifetime, sort of 17th century, they were even 18th century. That sort of time, there were even in Germany they were using the oblata, these these discs as a base for Leberkuchen, which is a type of gingerbread. So they did start off, we think, as as something I say that was quite uh, religious, but gradually they sort of become secular over the centuries. And obviously the ones that you get, the, the Eucharist wafers, are nothing like the waffles that we enjoy today, or indeed that probably they were enjoying alongside their spiced wine at the banquets.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think the distinction there was is fascinating to me, but I'm certainly very glad someone decided to bring the waffles into the secular world. It's definitely one of my favorite foods. And it's exciting to think that Shakespeare would have had the same kind of waffle too, or at least something pretty similar. I know we would love to learn more about the history of waffles. Um, what are some of your favorite books or resources you can
1: recommend we use to learn more? Okay, so there's a book called Cooking and Dining in Tudor and Stuart, England by Peter Breers. It's published by Prospect Books. And that's amazing. If you want to study the food in general from Shakespeare's time, that's an indispensable resource that you could have. But he has a section in there about banquets and things that served at banquets like the, the waffles we've just been d- discussing also, uh, there's a food historian called Ivan Day. He writes a blog called Food um, History Jottings, and his his posts are excellent. And he also has posts on waffles. But there's also you can find a YouTube video of him discussing banquets, which is particularly interesting. And then something a bit more modern, but she does cover the history of waffles and wafers, is a book called The Biscuit by Lizzie Collingham, and that's published by Bodley Head. And that's really a really enjoyable book to read. If you've got an interest in food history and all things biscuity or cookie like, uh, I can highly recommend that.
0: Those are just fabulous resources. I am excited to list them in the show notes for this week's episode. Make sure you go there to see this full list as well as links to Sam Bilton's website and and more from her work on food history that you can find there. Now, Sam, we ask everyone this next question here at That Shakespeare Life, and that's, what's the one book you would take with you on a deserted island? My friends in England tell me I'm supposed to allow you the complete works of Shakespeare and a copy of the Bible. So your choice would be in addition to those.
1: Wow, that's a question and a half, isn't it? Goodness, I'm not sure I could survive on an island with just those books and one other. But if I had to pick, I would probably go for the English housewife or huswife, as it's written on his book, by Jervis Markham, which was published in 1615, Um, as well as cookery, and it does include a wafer uh, waffle recipe. It also includes chapters on medical remedies, distilling, cheese making, and dyeing cloth. So I think it would be an indispensable book to have on a desert island.
0: All around useful book for all things how to when you're surviving. Absolutely. That's an excellent choice. Indeed. So what are you working on now that you're excited about?
1: Well, I'm actually trying to get a podcast off the ground, which is going to be called Comfortably Hungry. I'm hoping to air the first episode uh, later this autumn. Yeah, so that's that's what I'm doing right now.
0: Oh, I can't wait to hear the episodes there. It's been a delight talking with you today. Sam, thank you so much for sharing with us the history of waffles and what they would have been like for Shakespeare's lifetime. This has been a really fun conversation. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. If you enjoyed our show today, be sure to let us know about it. Please drop us a comment and a rating on the platform you're listening from today. If you would like to see some of the recipes from Hugh Platt and Gervais Markham that we mentioned in today's episode, you can visit the show notes where we'll have pictures and links to these recipes, as well as a free download for how you can make your own recipe of Shakespearean waffles right at home that you can download right in the show notes. That's available when you sign up to join our newsletter. And after this week, it'll go over into our Patreon downloadable library. Find all of these things at CassidyCash.com episode 234. That's CassidyCash.com EP234. That Shakespeare Life extends its historical focus to our funding model, being supported in part by listeners who sign up to be patrons of the show, which is the same way William Shakespeare funded his work during his lifetime. Patrons who support the show are treated to behind-the-scenes extras, including sneak peeks at upcoming guests, the chance to submit your own questions to be asked live on the air, as well as printable extras like the waffle recipe that you have available to you this week, along with worksheets and history guides that coordinate with the show and with Shakespeare's plays. Due to the patronage of our listeners, That Shakespeare Life is available to listen anywhere in the world, completely commercial free. Join us as a patron today and unlock all the great benefits of supporting the show at patreon.com slash that Shakespeare life. That's patreon.com slash that Shakespeare life. That Shakespeare Life is researched and produced by me, Cassidy Cash. Our audio engineer is Gary Mayholm. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. I'm Cassidy Cash, and I hope you learned something new about the Bard. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.
2: Thank you for listening to That Shakespeare Life.